Hello and welcome back to Bond Voyage. I'm Adam and this is my host. Host or co-host? Co-host. Well, yeah. you're, you're the one bringing me along this journey. I, I suppose. I'm the tour guide, if you will. That's it. And That's I'm literally I'm hosting for. and we're in my place this time. Joined on our journey today is my good friend, JP. Say hello, JP. Hi, guys. And how are you today? I'm doing well. Just glad to be going on a Bond voyage. <laughs> At least a part of the journey. Well, we might as well just start with that. What's your uh, experience with Bond so far? Do you, How many of these movies have you seen? Do you have a favorite James Bond? Have you seen this movie? You know, I think I grew up with Bond in the 90s, so Pierce Brosnan was kind of like my opening to Bond, and I was more like through... Even Nintendo 64, which was kind of like my first introduction to it. Goldeneye? Yeah, that's a lot of people's answer for sure. Mm -hmm. So I do have, like, I mean, when Daniel Craig came out, I really loved uh, Casino Royale. Yeah. I think a lot of people were taken away by. So that's always my go-to for Bond. But as for this Bond or anything pre uh, Pierce Brosnan is uh, definitely new territory for me. Never seen any of them. Nothing. But the song you like a lot. I do. I'm a big Paul McCartney fan. Which so. was, we've done podcasts together before. You're a very good guest to have on. But from those other ones, I knew you were a Beatles fan. And mm -hmm. obviously just other discussions we've had. Mm -hmm. So at least you have that rough connection. Tell us about your uh, Beatles, specifically McCartney love. Oh, man. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I think Beatles came into my life at the same time as Heartbreak, oh. as a lot of people, oh. I think, do. I think my first Heartbreak, I remember having a friend who was I was like sitting in a bus like in grade nine and my buddy's just like listen to this and it was Yesterday uh, by Paul oh. McCartney and it just broke my heart yeah. and I was just like this guy's like, it's a genius. pretty emo Beatles song totally yeah. you know <laughs> I mean yeah it's like kind of discovering classic emo at the same time yeah one of the uh, podcasts that JP and I have done before was ranking the Beatles albums so I've heard these stories mm. yeah mm. You'll like it, at least for that. The main riff to Live and Let Die is throughout this film a lot, so you'll like that. Mm -hmm. What do you know about Roger Moore? All right, Adam, you mm -hmm. too, because you've seen I, one of every other, except for George Lazenby, who only did one. We haven't got there yet, but you've seen every other actor so far. I remember when you first were showing me, I think in episode like two or something we were recording, you showed me a picture of like all the Bonds, and I was like, oh, this guy looks cool like i he was like he like stuck out to me roger right. moore did but i don't know anything else about him so for so many people roger moore is their bond he did the most of them he did the bonds through the 70s he really uh cemented the formula you know he made the quip what it is like brosnan mm. took a lot from him so many one-liners definitely a lot lighter than sean connery certainly lighter than timothy dalton or daniel craig really silly i don't know I go back and forth. I love them. They're totally rewatchable. It's fun time Bond for sure, mm -hmm. but doesn't typically rank high for me. None of Roger Moore's are in my top five for sure. I, I feel like you usually talk about the the last one he did that he probably shouldn't have done. Which, and, yeah, yeah, is often maligned, but one of my favorites. He did, well, he did Octopussy, which I talk about a lot. That's true, yeah. Uh, and not such a fan of that one. That's one of those ones that has like a cult following within the Bond universe. Mm. People just love it for reasons that are beyond me. We'll get to that when we finally watch that one. This one I do love a lot, though. Mm. But, okay, I'm going to try again, like in the last episode, to not... Since no. neither of you guys know Roger Moore <laughs> or the movie, I don't want to tell you exactly how I feel about this one or mm -hmm. talk about it too much. I'm excited to watch it with you guys, for sure. Uh, 
So you don't know Roger Moore either, JP? I mean, when I think of Roger Moore, I think of 70s sex symbol. It's kind of the only thing that comes okay. to mind Interesting. For me. Do you um, remember Spice World? Uh, the Spice World movie? Ever, yeah. He was in that. Was he? I don't remember him in it. I only saw it the one time with my older sisters. Like, it came out in, like, late 90s, right? I don't remember it very well, but I was looking at his IMDb, and he's in Spice World. And uh-huh. I heard on some other podcast them talking about Bond being in Spice World. I have no idea what part it was, but I almost want to watch it just for that. You know, when it comes to Spice World, I always recall watching it in Spice World had like, this post credit scene where they break the fourth wall... <laughs> And they're, like, talking to you, being like, hey, you in the back, what are you doing? And Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we don't give credit to Spice World enough for, you know, bringing back the post-credit scenes. Mm Because since before Ferris Bueller's Day Off, there really wasn't much post-credit scenes. And they broke the fourth wall. Maybe they were an influence (laughs) for Deadpool, for all we know. Oh, there you go. I remember their bus jumping one of the bridges in London. And it was such an obvious, uh, like it was a little toy. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So they were using miniatures, which they do in Bond all the time. Not in this one, but in The Spy Who Loved Me, there's a scene. They have a small speedboat that jettisons out of a bigger boat like out of a sub or something like that and if you pause it you don't even need to pause it. you can just see it it looks like team america like it's a little toy <laughs> boat and there's little dolls that are in it and it's supposed <laughs> to be like bond and the the girl or whatever it looks hilarious i don't i don't think there's anything that egregious in this one but mm-hmm. it can be pretty bad any other context you want to give for us for this uh, 1973, this is coming off Sean Connery's last one, Diamonds Are Forever, which I, I haven't really read much about its reception. It wasn't great. He came back for one, right? He took one movie off, and then they threw a bunch of money at him to come back and do one That's more. Right, yeah. Then they took, I think, two years off and made this one. Same director as Diamonds Are Forever and Goldfinger. It's Guy Hamilton's third, I believe. He does this one and the next one, Roger Moore's second, Man with the Golden Gun. So this is Roger Moore's first, right? Yes. Yes, okay. And there's lots I want to say, but again, I don't want to... Uh, don't want to lead us too Exactly, much. I don't want to lead the witness. I don't want to leave the trail of breadcrumbs. I want you to get your own opinion. It's experimental a little bit. It's mm-hmm. coming off the hype of the black exploitation movies of mm-hmm. the 70s. There's a lot of that feel in it. It pushed some social boundaries for sure. There's a lot of African Americans in it. Quite a mm-hmm. few strong characters there. They go to Harlem. There's some awesome scenes there. Lots lots of America, unlike a lot of Bond. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited. But first Roger Moore movie. First Roger Moore movie. Was Roger Moore like popular before or on the cusp kind of thing? Uh, yes, he was very popular. He okay. had a series called The Saint. Like Everybody was very excited for him to take over. I've read a bit about it and watched documentaries about this, Becoming Bond and all of that, and I don't remember exactly. Like It felt like it was preordained. Everybody accepted it was mm-hmm. going to be him. Even think, like following up Sean Connery would be like mm, really hard, right? Very hard, yeah. But they, they always got along fine. Well, I'm kind of intrigued by that because I even, you know, my first experience in a transition for a bond was from Pierce Brosnan to Daniel Craig. And I remember that there was backlash behind the choice yeah. of Daniel Craig. So I wonder how that reception was. I mean, right. But that took yeah. about 30 seconds of anybody watching Casino Royale right. to be like, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. This was yeah, the right pe- decision. People just don't like change. But you're saying that people were. So they excited for Roger. They Moore. over they they switch back and forth. It's like it was what's it's like presidents name? in the states. They mm-hmm. fluctuate insanely. So you went from Sean Connery, who's pretty serious, very accurate to the book, to the flamboyant, quippy Roger Moore, and then 
serious Timothy Dalton, then flamboyant, crazy Pierce Brosnan, then regrounded back to Daniel Craig. So our next one, who the hell knows? That'd be <laughs> silly as hell. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that's an exaggeration. And every one of them has their comedic moments and everyone has their serious moments. But by and large, Roger Moore is definitely less... More, he of a, take, more of a Brosnan than any of the others. Yeah, yeah. although Brozzy takes himself pretty seriously. Like, Roger Moore is always having fun and mm. doesn't take it too seriously. Like, they're, you'll enjoy them. Okay. When we started this thing, I didn't think you would like Brosnan and Roger Moore, but then how much you love Tomorrow Never Dies compared yeah, to yeah. the Craig ones. <laughs> that was, like, my favorite so far. Really? Well, I mean, favorite's a strong word. I probably enjoyed it the most. Yeah, we are going to do, I think, next episode, we're not going to have a guest. We'll do a recap of Bond's missions so far and kind of take some stock. Yeah. Now that you've got a bit of context, we can go back through the missions a little bit. We'll do that in the next intro. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing we started doing last episode was when we come back, we had some feedback. So uh, for listeners who haven't necessarily seen the movie or if it's been a long time that we got to do a summary of the movie. Mm. So we're either going to take turns or we would ask the guest if they want to try to follow along and do a summary. You think you might want to try that? Sure, why not? Right on. All right. Nice. So pay attention and like take five minutes, do it in 30 seconds, whatever you want. Try to be funny. Yeah. But it's... It's harder than you think because these movies are filled with distractions and like one of the reasons I've seen them 10 times each is because the first several I have no idea what the hell's going on. Okay. I'm always distracted by the gadgets and the women and the locations and all the cool stuff. Yeah. The last one we're trying to explain like the whole scheme there and it goes back and forth and back and you're like what the hell is going on? And this one has a few layers too and similar to the Living Daylights it's not till the end that a big thing is revealed. It's the same kind of thing like you think it's only about this all but then along, there's some other layer another yeah. layer another twist mm-hmm. yeah so how do you summarize and give do it just at the same time yeah and not get yeah. too detailed like mm-hmm. we're not writing an essay but i don't know how the hell they uh write the blurbs for these like the back of a dvd case mm-hmm. or yeah, yeah we could check actually that would be a funny thing to do so behind me are my original 20 bond vhs so one day we should have the guest do, or even now, who cares, do the summary and then read the summary on the back of the VHS. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd be good, yeah. All right, well, shall we go watch a movie? Let's go watch Live and Let Die. Live and Let Die. And the last one was The Living Daylights. You were talking about all the gold in the titles. Tomorrow yeah. Never Dies. It's all living and dying in gold, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, we'll be back in about 15 seconds. Well, two hours and one minute, or four hours later, by the look on Adam's face. I'm exhausted. (laughs) That's too bad for your first Roger Moore. I've got a first thought, and we've talked about this before. This is new to you, JP. When and how you watch these movies is so important for the viewers. This was like, we started this at 1.30 or 2 on a beautiful Saturday afternoon, sun shining. Like, we could be doing anything and we're inside watching this. Like, last time I saw this movie, it was in the winter. It was a Friday night. It was like a, I don't know if there was a blizzard, but the snow was falling and we were having drinks and it was just fun. Now I feel like, what are we doing? <laughs> a little bit. You know, it's funny you say that because when I was looking outside today, like, just to get come over here, I was like, how do I coax these guys into wanting to do this podcast outside? Yeah, well, I <laughs> I wish we could do that, actually. Or watch it, but yeah, context is really important. Yeah. So, sorry, you said it was long and you were falling asleep. Is that 
do you think it's the movie's fault or how you're feeling? I think a big part of it's how I'm feeling like uh, after a full week of landscaping work, I'm just exhausted, exhausted anyway. But I did have, you know, it felt a little drawn out at a lot of times, yeah. JP, first thoughts? First thoughts was how the new Bond was so polite, you know? The new Bond? Well, how this, sorry, this Oh, Bond this guy, here, yeah. Roger Moore. Was yeah. very polite as a Bond. Uh, I was seeing a lot of, you know, kind of a feel of a point of view from African-American yeah, yeah. Perspective, which I found very interesting. Kind of like post-civil rights, when you were saying it was done in the 70s. I was like, all right, so this is after Martin Luther King. This is yeah. after Malcolm X and the Black Panther movement. So seeing how it like went on those cuffs. And then I was like, all right, there's a lot of like voodoo tarot themes in this. Mm-hmm. Which I was like, this is a little cliche, but let's see where it goes. It is. Know? It feels a bit like a stereotype, but I bet you when it came out in 73, it wasn't. It seems a little cliche and over the top, but just exposing a general public to that culture was probably new in 73. Mm-hmm. This is only five years after the first white, uh, black, <laughs> can you hear that? Yeah. Somebody's playing music very close. I hope you guys can hear it. So in Star Trek in 68, they had the first interracial kiss. This is only five years after that. Mm. And he sleeps with a black woman in this, like Bond. Yeah. Like that, that's not, now it doesn't seem like anything, but it's slightly progressive at the time. I was hoping there was going to be an interracial kiss on this, and I guess they weren't. They, there they there was. Him and Rosie. Oh, right. You're right. Sorry, that's true. Well, we'll get into that after. Yeah. I th- uh, on the tarot cards and stuff, I feel like Bond is really good at just, like, diving into, like, a theme like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Before we dive too deep into it, JP, well, we're going to post this on social media. You should see this man's, uh, what would you call like, an arc summary that so, you Mm, Explain it. (laughs) But I'm not doing podcasts. I'm also an English teacher. And right now in English class, we're looking at plot structures. And they follow this certain curve. And so I've been like putting these, like drilling this into my students while we're analyzing stories, short stories, films, etc. So when you were saying, hey, do the summary, I was like, well, I'll try to do the summary, but I'll follow the plot structure to see if like it actually makes sense. And it all really worked out. So I did this kind of like plot structure. It looks kind of like a ski hill where you have like the exposition which is like the introduction to the movie and then the rising action so all the things that uh, are leading up to the climax then you mm-hmm. have the climax and after the climax you've got the falling action and the resolution Denouement. yeah the denouement exactly and so i was kind of like jotting mm-hmm. down all this as i saw it through the scenes sure so what is live and let die about what's a brief summary of the film live and let die jp all right with this structure let's try this out <laughs> so um can i give like spoilers or is this kind oh, of yeah. live and let die yeah, yeah. the okay. movie came out in 73 <laughs> the podcast is about live and let die presumably these people yeah. have either seen it or don't care that's true that's true <laughs> be hard Spoiler to listen to a alert. podcast about a movie bond, <laughs> bond lives the villain fails yeah <laughs> Lots of people die. Yeah, yeah, I'll talk yeah. about that too. Um, so, spoiler alert, let me say it. So the movie starts out with uh, three different deaths all over the world. So there's one death going on in the UK from a UN convention, a death going on in New Orleans, and a death going on in the Caribbean. One thing that's very interesting is that it's always a black person killing a white person mm-hmm. every death. And so that's kind of the exposition we get before we get to see James Bond for the first time. 
where he is instructed to kind of navigate and explore these depths. Mm-hmm. While he's exploring his, these depths, his first drive to go to this voodoo shop, he gets attacked by, uh, or there is someone who kills his driver. Driving what again? Driving a pimp mobile, as they <laughs> properly said. And I think while we were saying, I was like, I was like did they just say pimp mobile? Yeah, sure yeah. did. <laughs> like this is a driving a white pimp mobile. <laughs> And so from there, Bond takes us another taxi to this voodoo shop. And this is in Harlem at this time. Yeah, why'd they go to the voodoo shop? Uh, They go to the voodoo shop because I'm not really sure. Why why do they They go to the voodoo shop? It's interesting. They don't really say why. No, they do. I just caught it. The taxi, he, he gives Felix the plate number and it's registered to that address. So after his first car is wrecked, mm. after they kill his driver, he calls Felix and says, we were attacked by a pitmobile with this license plate. Then Felix gets back to him and says, this uh, plate is registered to this address. Then he goes to, and that address is this voodoo uh, shop in Harlem. Definitely didn't catch that. Yeah. Interesting. This is why I watched them so many times. <laughs> I may have just heard that dialogue for the first time. That's a good point, because, you know, afterwards, it's over the phone. Ahead. Oh, okay. Well, they're, they're talk- Remember when he crashes, he gets on the phone? It's like a car phone. Yeah. Of one of the back of the cop cars, and he's talking to Felix, and mm. their weird CIA office above the UN. I yeah. think that's where they are, anyway. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So, all right, so they're at the voodoo office. Yeah, so the voodoo office. Voodoo <laughs> office. Voodoo shop. The voodoo, voodoo shop. <laughs> serious voodoo business. Yeah. Voodoo office. Now I'm picturing like uh, cubicles with voodoo. Yeah, in. yeah. No, it's, a, it's a voodoo <laughs> shop with all of your cliche stuff skulls yeah. and skulls, snakes yeah. and yeah. incense. <laughs> so at the voodoo shop, he starts exploring and finds the car, the pimp mobile, as we say, and gets caught by goons of Mr. Big. He is. Taken in this kind of like almost Polish looking uh, back street. Like ruins. Oh, saved. yeah. That's what, yeah. He gets saved Talk by a CIA that. operative. Um, yeah, he was gonna. He was taken out back to be executed and is saved by a black CIA guy who's mm-hmm. allowed into Harlem since white guys apparently aren't allowed in, as they make it quite clear. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and from there, once he's saved, he travels to the Caribbean resorts, kind of Caribbean resorts, and he teams up with Rosie Carver. Parks. Rosie Parks. No. <laughs> I was like, really? Did they do that? No. Um, who's a new CIA operative, and she kind of came in saying that she was Mrs. Bond. Rosie's a double agent. Well, we're shocked by that a little later on, but we get to see that Rosie is almost is a new CIA operative, very little experience. From there, they get into the house of a tarot with powers to see the future. So from there, we're introduced to Solitaire. Right. And we see that Solitaire plays a big role with Mr. Big as she is predicting the future for him. Who's Mr. Big? Mr. Big is also known as Mr. Kavanaugh. Kananga. Kananga. Kavanaugh. I'm sure Kavanaugh is something from somewhere else. Kavanaugh's If we're explaining the movie, all of these agents were watching this dictator or whatever prime minister from this made-up country called San Monique. This dictator, her prime minister's name is Kananga. That's who he was tracking in Harlem originally. And his fortune teller woman is solitaire. Yeah. Yeah. One, one little thing I'll add. So at this point, we're in the Caribbean, which is where one of the killings were at the beginning of the movie. While they are there, they do find the solitaire woman. Uh, this is where Bond... Well, Bond ends up sleeping with Rosie. Finds out that she's a double agent. Do they... 
straight up say that they slept well. well she I said, mean, don't leave me alone tonight when she was very afraid of the hat. They no, don't, but they, they don't sleep. It's after. It's when they're just like, she's like, oh, you should go. We're The, 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 the house right, where right. they're going is over there. It's it like, oh, like they were just having a little time. romp next to that stream. They're, they're making out. Yeah, they're making out. Like, like after what we just did kind yeah, of yeah, thing. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm assuming they slept together. Me too. You know, I don't think it's important. <laughs> <laughs> she was pregnant. Uh, <laughs> it's a whole other layer. <laughs> Uh, so after their romp, we find out that she's a double agent, and she gets killed. So Bond continues his way up to the house, finds his way in through, I believe he was using his... Hang glider? Hang glider at that point. Mm. Fucking awesome. Gets in. <laughs> yeah, kicked uh, a guy in the head. Mm-hmm. Off the cliff. Yeah. Meets Solitaire for the second time, because he met Solitaire for the first time at the back of the voodoo shop. Meets Solitaire again for a second time. They have this chat about the cards... He mysteriously finds a way to get all the lover cards in her cards to kind of coax sex out of her. Well, there's like a gift shop at the resort he's staying at at San Monique that sells tarot cards. Mm. And he goes in there. Presumably he buys... I wonder how many cards are in a tarot deck. Presumably he buys as many decks as there are cards and takes just the lover's cards and stacks a deck. So it's just lover Mm. cards. So she picks Mm. the lover card. You know, it almost feels like he emphasizes more... Into like you know here are all my gadgets to do my you know bidding for as as a CIA operative as a agent but like it's like he really put a lot of emphasis of like what can I do to get some sex out of this and manipulate this apparently virgin solitaire I think like sex Is makes it, her powers no there's longer something work? about her being like tainted and taking the wrong path right, kind of right. thing mm-hmm. I mean. As far as how he got the tarot cards, the stack deck of lover cards or whatever, I don't think that that is the thing that we should focus on the most as far as just complete nonsense. Or should it be, though? <laughs> I mean, a man presumably comes back to life at the very mm-hmm. end of this movie. That's so true. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yes. go on. Uh, so it's kind of this back and forth where he gets caught by Mr. Big's henchmen again. When they have sex, the tarot woman loses her powers and then starts helping Mr. James Bond. They head to New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans. North New Orleans. But As they, get they say so many times. Oh, really? Yeah. By Mr. Big Ben's henchmen. Um, Mr. Big captures Bond in New Orleans. North New Orleans. They try to kill him by Bayou and Crocs. And he survives by doing this awesome croc jump. Um, <laughs> and then right. I wrote, there's a long... Yeah, we get like 45 minutes of boat race. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And I think that's the point where I was starting to see uh, Adam's eyes starting to like. Oh, you that's guys. when I was like falling asleep. Yeah. 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 Again, that's kind of what I was talking about. You got to be in the right mood. That's one of the, like the best chases in the whole mm-hmm. series, probably. And like funny and innovative and hmm, kind well, of exciting. But it was, if you're not yeah. up for that, if you're falling asleep and need story. It's a long one. It kind of drags. It was drawn out and long, but there were so many iconic shots and stuff mm. in it, like all those jumps with the boats and stuff. And that frickin' Louisiana cop was oh, hilarious. We'll, we'll talk about yeah. Sheriff J.W. Pepper. <laughs> Is that his name? <laughs> yeah. That's a, like a sheet music site or something. Uh, so after this long boat ride, uh, boat ride. <laughs> it's a nice casual boat ride. It's a nice cruise. Yeah. yeah. Jungle cruise. Um, James Bond heads back to the Caribbean to save Solitaire and confront Mr. Big. They are coming into a, a ritual that's going on. During the ritual, James Bond kills the man with the snake who was going to kill 
uh, Solitaire. Mm-hmm. He also kills the skeleton man, but then we find out it's a decoy from Baron there. Yeah. Baron Sandy? Samity? Okay, I just wrote skeleton Baron man. Sam- That's like Sandy. French for Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, Baron Samzi. So uh, then the real Baron Samzi comes in, and uh, he has this very short fight. Mm. It's extremely short One fight. big swing with a machete, and he falls into a... A coffin of snakes. Yeah. snakes. Pumps them and dies. And it's, uh, <laughs> I wrote too short of a boss fight. Uh, <laughs> after a 45 minute long boat ride. Um, from there we get to the climax of the story where afterwards, where Baron Samzi kind of came down, came up from this grave. And so Bon and Solitaire go down into this grave where they get into the lair of Mr. Big. Uh, where Bond gets caught by Mr. Big in his lair with Solitaire, and they are going to be dropped in a shark-infested waters. But from there, Bond's watch, which is not just a magnet, is used as a circular saw. Yeah. (laughs) And so he gets out of the rope, fights Mr. Big, and gets Mr. Big to explode by compressed gas bullet, which I'm glad... (laughs) (laughs) Not only explode, that fucker floats away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The hot air balloon, Mr. Big, um, oh which, you know, was kind of good because I was, I was kind of wondering, like, what's the point of them, you know, showing this kind of gadget? But, yeah, know. yeah. Solitaire and Bond are then, well, this is after the climax, we're going to the falling action. So Solitaire and Bond are on a train and they have 16 hours, as they say, mm, so to, play thinking, gin, to, to bone and play gin. Pretty yeah, much, yeah. yeah. Which again, going back to cards, which is a big theme in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Tihi, or Tihi, uh, <laughs> is on the train. They have another short fight where mm-hmm. Bond throws them off the train. See, he has the hook hand, by yes. the way, yes. Mm-hmm. From there, the train is going away, but we do see Skeleton Man slash Baron Sanzi is actually on the front of the train. Uh, he's still alive somehow, and the train is getting away as the credits. Credits roll. Yeah. James Bond will return in The Man with the Golden Gun. Yes, sir. All right, Adam. Hit. Stop. That's it. That's the movie. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you did it. Podcast done. <laughs> Do you have any interest in what's on the VHS summary? Read it to us, Robert. James Bond battles the forces of black magic in this energetic, passionate adventure that hurtles from New York streets to Louisiana Bayou country. As Agent 007, Roger Moore infuses the dynamic action hero with charm, wit, and deadly assurance. When Bond investigates the murder of three fellow agents, he soon finds himself a target evading vicious assassins as he closes in on the powerful Kananga, Yafet Kodo. Remember I mentioned a while ago the uh, I wanted to bump this movie ahead because an actor had just died? That The villain mm-hmm. in this just passed away a few weeks ago. Uh, okay. Sidebar. Known on the streets as Mr. Big, Kananga is coordinating a globally threatening scheme using tons of self-produced heroin. Self-produced heroin? Okay. As Bond tries to unravel the mastermind's plan, he meets Solitaire, Jane Seymour, the beautiful tarot card reader whose magical gifts are crucial to the crime lord. Bond, of course, works his own magic on her, and the stage is set for a series of pulse-pounding action sequences involving voodoo, hungry crocodiles, and turbocharged speedboats. Complete with such imaginative gadgets as Bond's super magnetic wristwatch and an amazing compressed gas pistol, Live and Let Die is a breathtaking, high energy roller coaster of non stop thrills. 
I liked yours better. Yeah. <laughs> it's really crazy how complicated the plot is for a plot that like doesn't really matter. You know, like it's not the point of the movie, isn't like the story. This but is it's so complicated. There are a few Bond movies that are just if you break it down, just a series of fun scenes. Mm-hmm. Like that or it's not just that, but that's what we like about it. The plot yeah. really doesn't matter. Like again, we were like the boat scene was like it was like half an hour or it's, something. It's long. It's a lot yeah, of lead it's at least, up to it. it. It's like 20 minutes, I would say. It's mm. like a, an episode of The Office. <laughs> <laughs> it's same oh amount of laughs. Yeah. yeah, see, you break down the whole plot like that, and we don't even really talk about the villain plot or anything, like that heroin was involved or anything like that. Cause it Self-produced. Self produced. Self produced heroin, because it doesn't really matter. No. You know, I almost want to do uh, kind of like my own villain plot structure, but it just wasn't explained enough. And I wish there was more explanation of the villains. Yeah, this one I end. I never used to like as a kid. This was one of the first VHS I had when I, I got one of those box sets, came with six of them, and Live and Let Die was one of them. And I wanted to like it because Baron Samdi's a character in the GoldenEye N64 game. Mm-hmm. It was always just so confusing. And same, like the boat chases weren't that exciting for 10 12 year old rob <laughs> like mm. kind of cool and all now and i appreciate it for the stunts and the visual effects and all that but when i was a kid i wanted batman and shit like this wasn't that exciting and mm. yeah so freaking complicated and i actually didn't understand that kananga and mr big were the same person like i wasn't mm. listening when i was a kid i mean when you break it down as simply as you just did and right when we were done watching it we were like it's not actually as convoluted mm. as i thought but it kind of is like it kind of is, yeah. The like, mask reveal, too. And there's yeah. just, they don't care enough about telling the story at all. Like, mm. it's secondary. I feel like it's to serve, like, the things that they want to do, which are those action scenes. They are like, oh, look at this mask reveal or this black magic stuff. Well, like, the I, themes they want to hit. Right. I actually put that. that this hits everything I want in a good Bond movie. Yeah. Except, like, there's a few things missing, like, one really good henchman. Instead, mm-hmm. we have, like, five pretty yeah. okay ones. But otherwise, a gr- I like the villain. The Bond girl's pretty good. Roger Moore's first outing as Bond is awesome. Mm-hmm. You got gadgets, great locations, great stunts. But mm-hmm. that's it. Like, turns out I also need a pretty decent story. Like, <laughs> hits almost everything I want, but a bit boring and just weird, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, why did Baron Soundy come back to life? <laughs> it's just that, like, the whole voodoo black magic theme, I guess. Especially after reading the back where they're like, oh, and Bond is battling black magic. It's like, right, right. okay, I guess it's that's what we're going for. Mm-hmm. Like, right. And I mean, why is the heroin dealer, producer guy, like, doing everything based on tarot cards from this one yeah. girl? Like, and he, pretty hilarious. He talked a little bit about that, saying, like, oh, you know, your mother used to be... Yeah, there's some mm-hmm. backstory there. Very little. I almost... Like, Seeing this makes you want to read the book. If you want to see something that the book is based off, License to Kill is a lot closer to the Live and Let Die book. Okay. This is nothing like the book. Very little. Okay. And listeners can correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I remember, they take more from the book, Live and Let Die, when they make License to Kill than this. Like, the characters are the same, the hench people's names are the same, and the Mm -hmm. villains are the same, but... In general, the plot doesn't really follow it. There is, like, heroin and stuff, but it, it's very, very different. It almost sounds like the screenwriter, whoever wrote the script for this, Make wanted it. to have a deeper, like, a more convoluted script, but then the director was just like, we're going to rewrite this, we're going to change this, because we need mm-hmm. to have this action scene. And, mm-hmm. yeah, cut out, like, important plot parts and put in more boat jumps and exactly. stuff like that. You know what we're going to do? We're going to have, in post, Bond's motor get shot once, so he has to switch boats. So we're going to double the length of this boat. <laughs> <test>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
All right. Oh well, how did you feel about uh, Roger Moore? I feel like otherwise, yeah. you may have been bored with the movie. What did you think of him? He was fine. I think it was almost the opposite of like Tomorrow Never Dies, where I thought I was going to like him more. And right. No pun intended. Sure. Uh, so I set the bar so low for Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> <laughs> so it's because I set the bar low for Brozzy. Yeah. You loved it, and now like all this hype for, for Roger Moore. Yeah. yeah. And now I'm like, eh, he, like, because I thought he would be funnier or something. This, he was a, fine. A lot of Roger Moore fans don't like Live and Let Die. Like they okay. say, he's awkward and mm. like still learning how to play the role. Yeah. He's not as comfortable as he is later on. Because he's, he's not, not like quippy, and he's not like dark and brooding either. He's like somewhere in between. I find he looks the best in this one. He just gets old so fast. Mm-hmm. He looks real sharp in some of these He looks good. He yeah. looks good. But yeah, you're yeah, you're not wrong there. I I don't like the overly quippy, sarcastic, just mm-hmm. silly Bond. Like there's a movie where he does a Tarzan yell and he tells a tiger to sit. Like it gets mm-hmm. really silly. Okay. Can't wait. Yeah, you might like that one a lot more than I do. Yeah, but it's it's a good point. It almost seems as if like he did embody what I get again, I'm just basing myself on Craig and uh, Pierce Brosnan. He was calm like all the other ones, confident and pretty, pretty suave, you know, and a player. Mm-hmm. But that's almost the structure of what all bonds are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And then you, I, with time, you embody, you become bond by having your own internal or personal style to it. And it feels like he hasn't developed that yet, so he yeah. was just kind of following the, the typical bond structure. An interesting thought is, what's something that is so James Bond that only one actor can do? I can't see Craig or Connery or Brosnan, maybe Brozzy, smoking a cigar while riding a hang glider. Like, I wouldn't have been surprised if it's slightly pinned to the left and he also had a martini. And I would have believed it while he's up there. It looked so friggin' cool. But other, I hear what you guys are saying. He's not bringing a lot of new stuff to the table necessarily. No, Bond has impeccable taste in women Alcohol, clothes, clothes, cigars, you know, I guess they don't really Embroidered pajamas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so in that yeah. sense, he he was being Bond, but he wasn't yet. Or there wasn't like say. an extra elevation to it. Like it was like the base level, but there isn't like the I think the, I don't know, non-action hero element. Like James Bond, the human, he brought it to a different level compared to Sean Connery's. Like seeing his apartment, I was seeing, say, his seeing his embroidered place was super unique, right? Like, yeah. I don't. Did that happen in previous movies? Before no, this? not in any Connery. I don't yeah. think you, you see his office in a couple of the movies. Definitely in Honor, Majesty's Secret Service. I think in Thunderball. But yeah, I don't think you see his home. You do in a Craig mm-hmm. one. I think that's really important because he's kind of like this orphan, like detached spy, barely human. Some, like, especially Craig's Bond. Yeah. And what I've seen. So seeing like his home and then just Lavish. that being invaded too by M. Is, just oh, yeah. Well, in. let's yeah. talk about that scene for a minute. We can keep talking about Bond after, but since we're on it, what do you think of his freaking apartment? And that whole scene is so damn weird. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, can you imagine your boss showing up at, I mean, even if you are a double agent, 545, and like you have to hide the woman you're with? Like, that's, yeah. Well, because she was some, mis- she was missing from some other relevant uh, thing, right? Right, right mm-hmm. I suppose. But still, like, M's a dick old man. He probably wouldn't have even looked at her. He would have just assumed it's some woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why, like, who, why did Bond have cares? to hide her? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's such a dick, too. Is that all it does? Yeah. He really Makes hated him like his an espresso. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you can tell. a sloppy espresso, too. But I bet you it was one of like the only 
residential espresso machines mm. of the time. Right? Was that like pole bar thing? Yeah. Yeah. Like I bet you most people never have one of those in their houses. As I've said in other episodes, Bond often likes to put in some kind of appliance or something that is brand new mm-hmm. in their movies. Like the latest and greatest. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I think that scene served a purpose to introduce Bond at the same time because I'm guessing in other movies you don't have that personal look into Bond because you already have that idea of who he is. You've seen him in three other movies. Or like in, well, you haven't seen it yet, Dr. No, the original one, uh, a part of it is the mystery of who he is. So you just see him at a casino for the first time or off mm. on a mission somewhere or whatever. And a part of his appeal is that his personal life and his past and all that is a bit of a mystery. Mm. So, yeah, that, that well, is a... Gone right away with Roger yeah, exactly. Moore. Yeah. yeah, that's a cool insight. Well, I think they also want to like use that apartment scene for you to see this new Bond's interaction with M... With money, money penny, penny yeah. so it's like, all right, this is how their banter is gonna be. This is how mm. their relationships are gonna be, and hopefully, throughout the other movies, it will evolve. They, yeah, they go back to the formula of he walks into M's outer office, flirts with money penny, drops his hat off, goes into M's office, and gets his mission, rather mm. than them showing up to him. Mm. It's very different. Yeah, and if you look at back at money penny in that section i think they really want to show money penny as this strong female character Always versus that. this other female character she, who is did you just know, wasn't she know. speaking french but then it turned out yeah. the italy liaison was missing were they like ah eh, american viewers won't notice the difference between italian and she french. was definitely Not, speaking french yeah was she it was french? it was a french accent for sure and i think mm-hmm. she was actually saying french words yeah when they were in bed and then it says she like some uh, yeah, woman yeah. liaison from the italian embassy was missing because that's, that's why money petty says ciao bella instead of oh, yeah yeah like that's yeah. beautiful yeah, I Funny, didn't pick eh? up on that. What did you think of, this sort of on the same line, that he wasn't in the pre-title? That's the first one that you... Yeah. Did you notice that? I did notice that, that we just got like, oh, like these murder mystery deaths kind Three of Three murders, yeah. I was like, are we watching Criminal Minds or mm. I don't know. Right. That's also an interesting and like risky, bold choice for your yeah, new Bond. Definitely. Just him showing up in bed after the song. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, I wrote that down for the Bond thing. It was like, there's no, like, lead up, right? Like, Timothy Dalton one we just watched, there was this whole big, like, training mission. There's a few double O's. We don't know which one is the new Bond. And, and then the big turn. Yeah, there's yeah. that reveal. And this one, it's just like, oh, there's a pre-title sequence. It's whatever. And then, like, oh, like you, I guess you see him in the gun barrel, mm-hmm. in the title yeah, sequence, yeah. even. Which is a good gun barrel. Yeah, and then... <laughs> And then you just like, oh yeah, he's in bed with a girl. Right, right, yeah. It's good and bad. It's mm. it's nice to have kind of a grounded, personal it's look actually, at 007, but... It's almost the same way we saw Sean Connery in Goldfinger, right? No, he's swimming out of the friggin' oh, water no, it's at the, the start. It's Brosnan in uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. After the pre- right, he's yeah. rolling around in the sheets after the pre-title sequence. He was the yeah. star of the pre-title sequence, though. He had a big action scene already. That's and, right. And then oh, after okay. the song, he's rolling around in the sheets with a lady. Mm-hmm. But if you take this pre-title sequence, it made me excited for the movie. Yeah, it's a good one. We can talk about that. Big mystery, right? yeah. Like, the way that was executed was done. Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. I remember, like, so again, back to my freaking VHS collection. Like, these Blu-rays that we watch are so much better. Like the remastered versions. Mm. I'm sorry for people. purists. Purists. Yeah. yeah. Like I had a really grainy, terrible one. Like it looked like a home video, the scene shot in New Orleans. And it looks like you said, it looks great and it's a cool mystery. The <laughs> New Orleans giant family assassination squad. Oh yeah. <laughs> so that cool scene was one of the best scenes I think of the movie. Like not just the fact that you have this very dark 
parade going on when you have the agent who talks to the man being like, who's this? Uh, looks like a big murder. Like, who's this funeral for? You know? Yeah. And he's like, Yo, it's for Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> damn. Yeah, yeah. Didn't line. see that coming, honestly. Yeah. It's one of those things that stepping back, it's awesome. And it's really cool. And if you had to think about how to actually orchestrate that, it's just ridiculously elaborate. But I always thought it was silly. Until, like, recently, I never liked that. I'm like, that's ridiculous. How are you going to get 100 people all together to do this? Like, really, every time you assassinate someone, you're going to have this big fake parade? <laughs> that whole, um, with Bond in the cab at the beginning, and, like, every black person is in on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, crazy. I always hated that, too. But then they do save it with that little bit of dialogue after the agent saves him from his execution. He says, only one guy has that kind of sway. Only one mm. guy. Can- Mr. Big. Mr. Big. His- yeah, it goes by Mr big any yeah. business and he's got his hands in on it or whatever mm. so they do sort of sort of make sense of that but it is a little bit uh, heavy-handed yeah. that every single person on every corner radios in yeah he's heading yeah. west he's heading north <laughs> oh man everything's a radio too oh yeah yeah one thing that stood out to me for the pre-title scene was that a lot of things were going on in new orleans and in the caribbeans and then there was a u.n assassination which was giving us at the same time the the structure of where the movie would happen but nothing was going on with the un the mm. the uk representative that died they they didn't really explain they, why they killed that person that should have been a bigger it, deal right yeah, but like, they did but soup that was what M was saying at the apartment and again as i've said to you through this show i'm trying to not talk like when i watch these movies with friends independently yeah. we pause it and we talk about it because i want it to make sense with them but M does say there that it wasn't the ambassador. It was somebody who was there specifically watching Kananga, who was killed. They were all watching him. Hmm. It's funny. I feel like when there's this dialogue that is kind of explaining the plot, there's always something else also happening, like this whole back and forth with the, the hiding the woman and the espresso. Right, and, right. You know. Again, that's what makes these so rewatchable. Like, And yeah. again, the second time you watch it, you'll be distracted again. Mm-hmm. Like, It takes multiple times. Yeah. Two things that bothered me in the pre-title scenes were the death of the UK ambassador. <laughs> the people around them were so nonchalant. They're just like, uh, eh, no oh, death. Yeah. <laughs> Homie from the UK passed out again. He's such a drinker. Yeah. <laughs> it did take a second. The first guy just sort of glances yeah, forward. Like, like, what? That was also, really a They just killed him with like a loud sound. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's pretty badass. <laughs> I don't know. And it's, hey, make sure you use the red cord. And it was right next to uh, Canada and the US. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I hope he gets the right one. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's just a red cord and it's like a plunger. Yeah, yeah of course it's like <laughs> <laughs> Like, what is that tool? But doesn't that's have what it, like, queued up. He's <laughs> can't yeah. be a bomb. And it doesn't even make, like, he does it slow, too. Yeah, like, you expect yeah. he's going to, like, twist it and uh-huh. push it, and it's just... Yeah. And then, yeah, that's super high-pitched sound. Like, I don't know that synthesizer. Like, <laughs> yeah, only, only one out of the three deaths were really good, the New Orleans one. Yeah. The other one with that ridiculously fake snake and yeah. no bite marks. No and, bite marks. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the other point I was going to say. I wanted to ask, and maybe I'm overthinking it because it's 2021 and all of that, but did you feel that it was a little bit racist? How there was like a de- uh, de-evolution, like they went from the UN, sophisticated, to New Orleans and like this parade mm-hmm. and they were dancing and they were doing this big dance in New Orleans when yeah. it got happy after the guy had died. It wasn't mm-hmm. the funeral march. It was like the jazzy, like gospel-y boost. kind of yeah. energy. And, and they were all dancing and it was a quick cut. To the ceremony down in yeah, like like a tribal ritual, like a tribal right, like saying they're basically the same uncultured. 
I did black folk dancing. Maybe I'm overthinking no, it, but I, it felt I had a the little same like, kind of thing of like it's that thing of um, the savages, that right, kind of yeah, narrative. Yeah. Like that's how they were looking at it. To like, connect it to the end, though, they have that lift for the skeleton man. It made me think when we were just talking about it: were they somehow manipulating like this? tribe with this kind of like oh look at this boogeyman that was a part of the plot yeah, they, yeah. this whole tribe was keeping people away from this area where they're hiding their heroin mm-hmm. with this whole myth of baron samdi who comes back from the dead okay that was another thing plot. i didn't catch yeah, yeah. <laughs> well you were snoozing <laughs> that was the boat no whatever okay so the tribe was created by not cre- they i think they were all believers they, they really just believed yeah it, they're just like a some tribe and they like the randest created by mr big it was this island of sam monique like where bond was at this resort place i imagine there's like multiple islands and then there, there's this one island where there's this myth of baron samdi and all this voodoo black magic crap and there's a tribe there that keeps people away because of this scary legend of baron samdi who mm-hmm. comes and back. that's why they kill like the white people with the snakes right yeah. so, so they're to using the tribe to protect the heroin and kill people that they need killed yeah sure I think that'll work. Okay. So I'll watch this movie again. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. It's round two. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to say about Roger Moore, his first outing as Bond, he hasn't figured his how he's going to play Bond yet because he's kind of badass at some point. Like when he gets cut at the end, mm-hmm. when he slices his arm up to, to feed the sharks, the water, he just yeah. sort of stares at him and takes it. That's more badass than I think Roger Moore is again. Like just taking the knife yeah, like but, that and kind of cold. But he didn't like wince or anything at all, right? So, no, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, mm-hmm. he's tougher than he normally is. I don't, but but that could just be, like, bad acting, you know? <laughs> could be that. Oh, I had like, that a few times with Rosie Carter. Oh, yeah. Oh, my ba- gosh. Bad actress, so... bad agent, or yeah. <laughs> bad character. I have no idea. But, you know, you're, you're speaking of, like, trying to get that Bond style to his personal means, but I felt that the biggest challenge was, you know, even at the beginning of the apartment scene, I feel... They were almost creating a campy bond, mm-hmm. you know? but not like over the top. Campy. Not over the top, but just the fact that he had like the JB, <laughs> big, yeah, the pajamas. Yeah, and the first thing he's doing is like hiding some girl that was in his exactly bed and... and making a really luscious espresso. <laughs> it was almost reminiscent of the old Batman. Yeah, it's the stuff that now gets parodied that yeah. people think mm-hmm. of. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Like they're testing out a few things. Mm-hmm. There's. Like that and him being a bit of a spy in Harlem or getting cut at the end of the movie, they lean into the former. The, the apartment scene Bond, that's Roger Moore through most of his tenure of, as Bond. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Campy. Hmm. Quippy. The, a, lot, a lot of camp. The crocodile jump is definitely a moment that's been parodied in so hmm. many things. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I wanted, parodied it. I wanted it. Did. did they? I think so. Nature calls. Sure. No, they parodied a lot in that movie. I meant to show you the YouTube clip of that stunt of the guy who does the crocodile jump and how many times he wipes out. It took so many takes. The director was saying, we got to just come up with a different way of doing this. He's like, no, no, I'll do it. I'll do it. But yeah, it's It's crazy that that's a real stunt. Yeah, it's almost downplayed. Like Mm -hmm. they had to zoom in because it doesn't look anything like him. the guy who did it. Like even his legs, if you're looking close, you can tell it's not Roger Moore. That's why they couldn't zoom out any further. But yeah, yeah. it's so quick. But knowing that it's a real stunt does make it that much cooler. That's I mean, that's crocodiles. I know I harp on it all the time. That's why when we're watching these movies, I say to look out for the action scenes and stunts because that is one of the things that makes this series so cool. Is all these real stunts. Stunts. Mm, My CG sucks so much. 
while you're talking about the camera thing, there were so many of those like shaky zoom ins on this There's a movie. lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of zooms. Yeah, like look at look at his ticket that says license plate, look at the license plate, zoom in on yeah. that. Yeah. And just like all, slowly done. Yeah. It did seem like like we were saying during the movie, they were all in the exterior shots. Whenever they were on location instead mm-hmm. of on a set or in a studio, they were doing a lot of zooming. They probably had a different director. Like it was like the second crew or whatever. Mm, whatever like different gear and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. what was the budget like for this one? I don't you know. know. No, I don't know that info right off. You don't have all those statistics <laughs> memorized. <laughs> those ones I don't have. Fake, your fake Bond fan over. No. Well, we know how you feel about the song. What did you think of the title sequence? The girls dancing through the fire and stuff. Was it compared to other ones special at all? Visually, yeah, whatever. I don't really care. I love the song though. Yeah. <laughs> song yeah, is awesome. Like, this is a fucking banger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dude. And yeah. we know you like this song. I, uh, I JP's actually, nodding sincerely. Yeah. <laughs> I actually decided since like I mean I could just talk for half an hour about how amazing the song is, but I decided I want to look into how the song is developed in its kind of crescendo and how that influences the the movie. Because I the, found well, you could talk about the score at the same time if you yeah, want. Because totally, yeah. some of the best moments are when they use that. Yeah, bow, bow. yeah. I it think makes everything so much more intense. Right. This song. Because uh, they wrote it for the movie, right? That's yeah, usually how yeah. it goes. Yeah. It's such a good song for that because they have these orchestrated bits in the song that you can just throw in like almost unedited to the movie. Yeah. Where all these other songs from the ones we watched previously are just more like rock or pop songs mm-hmm. that use like maybe the Bond theme in it or something. Right. And they, they shoehorn it a little bit. Exactly. This one's a bit more Where this one, it's like they wrote the song with this part that's going to fit in the movie. It's definitely uh, one of the most talented musical teams ever to make a Bond song. <laughs> like, mm, totally. I mean, McCartney some, in the Wings. Yeah. And George Martin, right? George Martin. I'm not sure George Martin was Did producing. It, it was said he, he produced yeah, the George song. Martin, yeah. Yeah. It is his style with like the big kind of crescendo of group of uh, yeah. mutant uh, instruments coming together. But what I liked was that, you know, it was a slow verse. The first verse was very slow. You were young in your heart, just very, very slow. And then it explodes uh, in uh, the chorus. And then the second verse almost has like a reggae kind of style to it. Oh, which I which think, is referenced through the score a lot. Exactly. Yeah. But also linking when to you're the listening, fact that for African-American culture, and like this movie yeah, is heavily yeah. spent around. And it was all filmed in Jamaica. Do you see that at the end? They oh, often do. I didn't yeah. notice that. But they often, all the Caribbean stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It said filmed on it's, it's funny because for the longest time, whenever I talk about the top Bond songs, this is like one of my favorite songs that is a Bond song, but it's not my favorite Bond song because I don't find... Like, I don't hear James Bond in it at all. Mm. Like, the song isn't about Bond to me. But now that we're... Mm. So many people are confused about it. Like, when you hear Live and Let Die on classic radio, why is there a reggae part in it? But it totally fits in the Bond movie. Totally. That's true, yeah. Yeah. But the third verse goes back to violins. You know? Mm. After this, the chorus again, it goes back to, like, these violins, and it comes like, a, a romantic style to it. And if you think about it, that's how the movie works. You're going to a kind of a slow start to an explosion. And then it goes into more of a reggae-style, African-centric uh, movie, and then another explosion. And then it goes down to, like, the kind of the third plot where there's this romance going on, and then another explosion. So I yeah. feel at like... At what point was, of the song is there a 20... 30-minute boat chase. Yeah. <laughs> One of those explosions. Yeah. The long explosion. I mean, the best song, maybe. Not the best Bond song, but it's the best song that fits the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it fits so well with the movie. The music does. I yeah. think I... You know me. I we, we talk about this a lot. You don't necessarily hear the lyrics. No. I know Live to, and Let Die. That's... 
Right. The lyrics don't match it as well, but maybe they do. I just don't know. You were young and your heart was an open book. Rodney's first movie. Oh, there you go. Could be. There you go. That this ever-changing world in which we live in makes us give and cry. So live and let die. Could be maybe a, a question of how sad it is to what see the it? inequalities between... I mean, I might, I might be pulling, but I mean, there could be these inequalities yeah, sure between, a little bit, you know, yeah. Afrocentric and African-Americans in in North America. Hmm. So they're like kind of I mean, I, would, I wouldn't put it past Paul, but... Well, you know, he wrote Blackbird <laughs> uh-huh. in the in 1960s as a, kind of a, a love song to... Uh, if we're not careful, JP's going to turn this into a Beatles podcast. I know, watch out. But it was based in the 1960s movement of civil rights, and that's why he wrote Blackbird. You wouldn't have liked a line in Goldfinger? You can't drink a Dom Perignon past whatever degrees Fahrenheit. That's almost like listening to the Beatles without earmuffs. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck that movie. <laughs> Connery's not such a fan. It is interesting, though, because this is right after this, all the civil rights stuff you were mm-hmm. saying, right? And there's, like... Most of the cast is black people. Yeah, right? yeah, totally. Which, and like we were saying earlier, it it's not a great black representation. It kind of sucks a, that they're all the villains, like villains yeah. and stereotypes. Like the and all sit it. back, Jim. Yeah, yeah. hey, brother, like that shit. But it, it's almost like I talk about with the misogyny in it. With today's lenses, it looks bad. But back in the day, giving that mm. much screen time and that much dialogue yeah. and that much plot impact and all that to women that many or jobs people of color. Black, that, yeah, yeah, exactly. Crazy. Huge cast. Like, yeah, more... And so much screen time and... Yeah. Right, right. I totally. felt there was a lot of uh, Black Panther movement feel to it. in it. Because mm-hmm. you know, there... Even, like, I mean, the taxi driver was just like, for 20 bucks, you can, I'll drive you to a... Klu Klux Klan Klan barbecue. Barbecue, I think, yeah. <laughs> cookout. Cookout. Cookout, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> on that 31 Days of Bond thing I was telling you about on Twitter, one of the questions was, favorite minor character? A lot of people put that taxi driver. Yeah, yeah. 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 He's good. He's yeah, good. he's pretty great yeah sit back jim (laughs) kept calling him jim that's great jimmy bond yeah what do you think of so this is definitely new it only comes up a few other times when the song is actually it's not just in the background it's in the the movie like the jazz singer sings it yeah i don't like it you don't like it i don't like it it's too on the nose what's happening it's almost breaking the fourth wall like and she's staring at him singing it it's really weird. Like, there's so many points in this movie where I'm like, are we, mm-hmm. are we even trying still? What is happening right now? Well, that that's when like he gets uh, lowered down under the bar or whatever. So yeah. it's like he's being singled out anyway. So I don't. It's right before the uh, Mr. Big is Kananga reveal. Uh, yeah, the 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 mask tear off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was it was too on the nose. I think. In general, I love this song, but I think they overused it in the movie. Like, I do like the score. I just felt as if when the score would be there, it had to be... I was hoping that when they have that score, that da na going on, it's going to be a very intense moment. But there yeah. were times that the it was Very like, intense moments, they typically, in Bond movies, there won't be score. Okay. Like, it's like when the boat scene's gone on for a little too long, they're like, da na na Exactly. That's exactly what happened. Or when it was wrapping up, like a murder is about to happen. I wonder if that was always the case, if that came up when someone was about to die. We'd have to look more into it. have to watch again, yeah. But my issue was, like, you would have this boat chase going on and going on, and then after a while, like, da na na And like, oh shit, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's just the continuation of the boat chase. And they didn't really bury it much. It's not exactly like the song. It's a little slower and it's mm-hmm. orchestrated. But they didn't bury it. They just did like, oh, we, we have that sample. We're going to plop it in like four or five places in the movie. It's true. I'd you guys keep talking. I'm going to get a beverage. <laughs> I'd say the parts that I like the most from the score 
is when it's not Live and Let Die. The score in itself had a lot of good orchestra, and then depending mm. where you were, they switched. I thought in general it was fine. It was very yeah. 70s oriented because it was the style of the music. It's kind of cheesy, yeah, but they there was like a bossa nova groove too, yeah. like this kind of elevator music thing. Mm-hmm. That's a cool theme. They had like good themes and like with the different locations, I think it all fit really well. Yeah, mm-hmm. they just, I think it's happened in a lot of other Bond movies where they just kind of overuse the same music. They don't like write out the whole score of the movie. They're just like, we have pieces and we're just gonna reuse them and stuff like that, which is... A little lazy, maybe. How dare you? (laughs) score is so good. I mean, the score without the typical Bond music and without the Live and Let Die, I thought the score was really good. And I thought when they threw in the other ones, it was fine. I think you always hear it. I felt like in other movies with Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig, they use it at better moments. Where Maybe. here, I think they were. I feel like they were just injecting I, it. See, in the newer movies, there's always music. I feel like there's always that's scores. like the new style, yeah, right? Yeah, there's like, just subtle music always. Mm-hmm. But this one, the full orchestra just blasts out of nowhere. Like they're just driving through New York in a cab, and the Bond theme is yeah. just so loud. It's, I had to turn it down, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. They, but this is not the best movie for that. I think okay. even the Dalton one was better. The um, Living Daylights did okay. it better. Hey, that's a fair opinion. I have opinions now. Actually. Yeah, yeah you have some context. Wow. We are a quarter through with this one. This is our oh sixth. So, well, a quarter through of those that have been released. And maybe we have to like be... like We're living in the 2020s where there's some incredible scores that exist now. Mm-hmm. So when you're going back to a 70s score, I mean... It's just top-notch. It's, it's all contextual I, too. Like they're probably like you know they're physically cutting tape and yeah, stuff like that. Where, where now yeah. it's like yeah, it's so much easier to actually make the music and match it up in the software and et cetera, et cetera. So we can't really complain too much. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, speaking of uh, the music as they're rolling through town, what did you think? Uh, any vehicles stand out to you? Bond didn't really have a Bond car in this one, but there were lots. There was no of- Q. Oh yeah, Q wasn't even in no, it. No, Bond just knew how to use the watch. That's explains right. it to yeah. M instead of Q explaining it to him. <laughs> Which is pretty great. Yeah. I know a perfectly good watchmaker just down the street. You could save the taxpayer some money. God, M's a dick. <laughs> it's a Rolex. If you look at the yeah. cars, it was cabs and the pimpmobile. Well, the Cadillac. The, day, I, the only one that I wrote down for cars was this Cadillac leaving the voodoo shop. Right? Like... He spots the pimpmobile, and then the people come out of the yeah. elevator, and they hop in another Cadillac, and it it looked like the headlights looked like the Mercedes logo. <laughs> it, no. I'm not a car guy at all, but it looked badass. '70s cars are just cool, big freaking boats. <laughs> they didn't really emphasize it. Instead, they emphasized they literal so boats. boats. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess. And uh, a car chase in planes. <laughs> like the, yeah, that uh, was the was plane like, never took off. <laughs> the slowest car chase. So <laughs> just silly. Let's have a bunch of cars run into planes that apparently are made out of cardboard. <laughs> I was like, yeah, what? Is Except for the one much? plane that the car jumped onto. Like that was a real plane, a real you know that yeah. like went up the side of it and fell on the wing. Like that is the only plane that didn't collapse as mm. soon as a car touched it. I, I wish they would have not done that scene and spent that money elsewhere. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. There's some comedic relief there with the lady in the plane. What was her name? Belle or something? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who looked like Maz Kanata. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although, often watching this movie, I was like, I want to see this Maz Kanata. And even Mr. Big, I mean, this is a stupid reference, but I was like, there's a Mr. Big in Sex in the City. I wonder if they... <laughs> but, you know, everything that's been done in the 70s are, are going to be done somewhere else. But when Man, you were talking about cars, what came to me 
was, and I wrote this down, was the double-decker chase. Oh, yeah. When the double-decker oh, yeah. became a single-decker and fell on the other car. I was like, that's, that's cool. Yeah, like that's that a good is. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was unfortunate timing. The bus does a full, was it a 180? Like, in a, I don't know if it was an oil slick or if it was just water. He does a full 180 turn around, and, like, there's no... CGI or anything somebody driving that bus did this thing I think you guys were just looking away unfortunately and then the the bikes wiped out right after it. but it's a crazy stunt in that bus whoever's mm. driving that friggin thing and you mentioned the uh, close-ups like the steady cam mm. close-ups when they're on location there was one when the bus is rolling through that town and they zoom in on Jane Seymour on solitaire they're like hey we actually got her on that bus when they're doing these <laughs> crazy stunts check it yeah like, normally it would be probably a dude in there wearing a dress and a wig. You know, you'd see the mm -hmm. shadow or the silhouette of them, but she was actually hanging out of the window. I'm sure there was some kind of special effect happening mm -hmm. to make sure she was safe or whatever, but that was a pretty cool stunt. That chase I like, and it was yeah. only like two minutes, mm -hmm. which is a good length for a car totally. chase. There are some that are fun. There's another Roger Moore movie where he keeps losing more and more parts of the vehicle. Mm. Mm. Like, this is a little hint of that when they lose the top of the bus. Well, it's actually, kind of fun. I had, I had a question about that. because, And I may have gotten this wrong, but Roger Moore's boat during the boat race, didn't he, didn't he get it shot so the gas was coming Yeah, out? and that's when he goes up into the weird plantation place yeah. where the guy's reading his paper and there's other people over by the pool. Right. So he goes up and just lands on their lawn. The dudes that were chasing him go past him and land in their pool, he hops out and steals the plantation owner's uh, okay. uh, boat. Um, okay, that wasn't clear, but I, I can yeah. see that now. <laughs> it takes a while to piece it all together, for sure. So should we talk about the women, then? We mm. had Rosie. We had Solitaire. That's about it. That's pretty much Money it. Money Penny for one scene. And uh, the Italian-French woman. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. yes, of course. Sorry. And she was actually pretty great. I love that whole first scene. I love Manny Penny, and I like her. Yeah. I've gone back and forth on Solitaire my mm. whole life as a fan. <laughs> really? Yeah. I I think I just had a crush on her forever because she's friggin' gorgeous. And her, like, wardrobe is awesome. She's cool. She's mysterious. But mm -hmm. she's not great. She's kind of wooden. Yeah, she's not, like, totally helpless like some other women have been. You know, like, Cello Girl. Fucking Cara. Uh, yeah. But she's pretty one-dimensional. Like, there's not really a lot. She does her tarot thing. Let's do Rosie first, just because mm -hmm. that won't take as long. Horrible, right? Like, oh, fuck. Yeah, she's a mess. Like, I don't know if it was all on her, or is the character written that way? Was she a bad actress? Like, everything, like when she's afraid, like, mm -hmm. it was like watching a really shitty play. Like, yeah, like be a, exaggerated. Like a high school play. Yeah, like, look scared. Okay, I'll look scared. I'll just mm -hmm. vibrate and twitch. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Not good at all. I would be surprised if she was supposed to be more competent, but the actress was so bad, they were just like, <laughs> all right, we'll just rewrite it. Yeah, maybe. Well, like, I'm new to this. I'm a new. This is my second mission. Ah, a snake. Well, that's <laughs> like, you wouldn't have got through training. And so she was like a double agent too. But well, a double agent's even harder. You I have know. to both impress the criminal and the CIA. Right. She's officially in the CIA on her second mission. Like she should be more competent than this. Well, yeah, like new to the CIA, okay, but she's playing too much into the damsel in, in, in distress. Right. Screaming at like, oh, a dead snake and oh, a hat with blood on it. A hat. You know, oh my gosh. The only. <laughs> what did he say? Fear not, darling. It's just a hat of a very small-headed man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
of little means. Of, of little means, little to no means. Yeah. Oh my god. What did that mean? Because it was like a ratty hat. Like, it was a small hat. It was a small hat. An old hat. I, I get yeah. that. That's the small-headed part. But why of low means? Just maybe because uh, it was like an old hat. Like, <laughs> it's an old small. Dusty dusty hat. Hat. It's some reference in 1973 that we just don't yeah, get. Could be. The one thing that I did like about Rosie was when she resisted the initial approach. Yeah, and I was just like, "All right, Rosie has a purpose because she will, you know, stand up to yeah. uh, James Bond's approach." Next scene, immediate, not even next scene. Fifteen seconds later, she turns around and sees the hat and completely loses yeah. all of that and says, "Don't, don't leave, leave me, me alone. Yeah. Don't <laughs> yeah. leave me." She was so cool. Like, okay. It looked like she was going to lean in and kiss him. You know what? No. I'm not going to fall for your shit. And then, okay, I'm scared of a hat. Please sleep with me. <laughs> no, I was oh really disappointed. Gosh. I think I think Rosie was so bad that it made the solitaire woman look as a better actor. Yeah. I, yeah. Jane Seymour is good otherwise, too. I, I don't have much bad to say or good to say about solitaire, really. Aside from Money Penny, all three women play the same role. Female, damsel in distressed, sexualized. But they all play it differently. She's very sexualized. Solitary. Yeah, yeah. If I had to rank the three typical actresses in this movie, I would say the one that I liked the most was the first female. <laughs> Me too, actually. Yeah, yeah. She was funny there, yeah. like, and she was sexually some agent or something. Yeah, she's sexually empowered, just there for a good time. She's, you yeah. know, she's, she's not being right. manipulated by him in any way. Solitaire was just too serious or something. Did she smile once? I don't know. It makes me like Bond less too that it turns out she was kind of a virgin. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. When it's supposed to be galore or something and she's a villain and he's taking advantage of her, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. But this looks, she's basically a slave, was taken by this dictator of some yeah. Caribbean country mm -hmm. and used as a fortune teller. And then he seduces her and makes just, her useless just to her way. And like, you know, that they're not going to like date for the, like, ever. No, no. Like, of he's course. just going to get. Like e either somewhere. we break up and I leave her alone, or worse, I sleep with you and you're now useless to your weird overlord and he's going to kill you because of it. So yeah. it, she actually brings his character down in this one. Yeah, definitely. And even when Mr. Big confronts her and was like, you were, you know, totally wrong with the guess for the, the number behind True the I watch. or false. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you're big. You are not even close. <laughs> <laughs> it's a 50-50. <laughs> but then he, he goes to hit her. Before he hits her, he's like, if you wanted to have love, I could have given you that. You know? And then hits her. And it's just like this, the uh, fact that women were so negatively perceived or per portrayed, portrayed yeah. in these movies it's, it's disheartening to Don't watch say these movies this movie because okay, yeah. like this is the worst one yet well freaking Kara was brutal in the last one we've watched two in a row she, that are bad for, mm. but there are a lot of really good ones even mm -hmm. like in Goldfinger which was the third one there are better strong women in that okay? and that was like the 60s that yeah. was 64 that was nine years earlier than this mm -hmm. yeah some of them are just bad like you need to have at least if you're main Bond girl, like the one that he ends up with at the end, is going to be a damsel, then you got to have a really good female villain or female hench person or something. Mm -hmm. Somehow to balance it out. This one didn't have that at all. Mm -hmm. At the beginning, I was like, oh, is this going to be a female villain? Because it wasn't really clear what was going on. Uh, when she was like the spooky tarot reader and it just didn't pan out there as well as it could have. depressingly few Bond female villains. Mm -hmm. There's a couple and they're awesome. But there need to be more. Do you ever wonder why... The tarot reader was 
a white woman. Like, why not have her as a as a black woman? Like as a uh, like an indigenous to their country. Yeah. Ter- like voodoo. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I I want to know more of that history. He mentioned how your mother was a good one. Like, there's all kinds of mm-hmm. backstory there that might make her character better, mm-hmm. but it's just not given to us. But we got a we got a boat chase. <laughs> we sure did. Oh my God. I I might be the only one who likes to talk about the outfits, but I, that's why I always write it down and say look out for it. Any of his badass, it, well, her. All right, that's one positive for her, and I think I mentioned mm-hmm. it. Her outfits are freaking cool. Yeah, like, yeah. They at least, she looked great. Yeah, she looked great, and they, that weird one that he put on, it was like a cape. Yeah. What the hell is that? Like, is that just her fortune telling outfit or what? But oh yeah, she like it was like that, solid. That, that, it's that like fortune telling chair like armor. She yeah. had to like yeah exactly yeah that was crazy. Yeah, her outfits were good and almost all of his clothes I would wear. Mm. I mean, if I was more confident, but <laughs> well, <laughs> or or not afraid of looking like a douche going down the street wearing that. I was thinking like he had essentially four outfits. He had nice. pajamas, suit. <laughs> House coat, but many suits, turtleneck, spy turtleneck thing. spy, Oof. and then back to suits. His turtleneck black ops spyware is awesome with the shoulder holster thingy. Love that always that. reminds me of. Have you seen the show Archer? Yeah, and he, mm. he jokes about the the spy turtleneck a lot. Nice, that's, that's really good. Totally relaxed. You know, Archer's yeah. just riddled with bondage. Definitely, mm. yeah, yeah. Uh, his powder blue resort wear, where he's wearing like the the wife beater under it. Like when they mm, yeah. when he first goes out on the boat with Rosie, when, mm. you know he's having breakfast when she's showering. That outfit I like a lot. She but, dies in that shirt. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. In so many of these movies, like he usually just has a briefcase when he pulls, like when he's walking through an airport or mm. a small bag. But he always has all these outfits. I don't know where he cramps oh, them. Oh, the thing about the outfits was that he was wearing the black kind of spy thing with the hang glider, right? And then he just. Tears away the pants and reverses the suit jacket, and he's wearing gray. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, cool, like, spy stuff. I don't really know why you need to do that in this case, but cool. Yeah, why did he need the guess, suit to go in to meet her? Because that was when he infiltrated yeah. her lair in, mm-hmm. on the island. Exactly. Like, the black makes sense, I guess, if he's trying to, like, sneak up in the yeah, hang glider. But the, It's mostly just to be cool, and a little nod to Goldfinger when he took off the wetsuit and was wearing the white tux. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think it's a nod to that, maybe. So just to get outfits and gadgets out of the way, did you like the watch? Yeah, it was one of those things where in the very you know opening of the movie, basically, uh, he's like, oh yeah, M, this this watch could deflect bullets. And I'm like, that's going to happen later. Except it like, didn't. It didn't, yeah. It the bullet didn't. didn't happen, and they didn't tell us about the saw, which I love. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's that, actually true, yeah. Because normally they reverse engineer these fucking things. They yeah, come up yeah. with a gadget, and you know he's going to use it. Like the whole Tomorrow Never Dies thing, like, they showed all the features on the car, and he used them every one single by one, one yeah. of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. the foreshadowing would be more straight to the point, but they were mm-hmm. kind of deceiving the viewer. Oh, they yeah, it has a magnet, so he's going to use it to save himself from these crocs, and it didn't work because the boat was tied up. That's yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> that was funny, and yeah. that's why I wrote for the metallic watch underwhelming because the magnet component of it was useless. And just I to wish. take a zipper down. Totally. That's oh, right. yeah, he, he, got the the, the, he got the spoon. I mean, he got the bullet at the end right. to kill Kananga. Oh, That's right. right. Yeah, okay. Big. I wish that they would have played with that more. Because if, if this is a metallic, huge magnet, wouldn't a lot of random stuff come up as well? Well, he had to turn it on. 
Right, but I mean, he was turning it on and then getting her, her dress to come off. Yeah, he but, would get, like, the specific thing he needed and nothing else. Yeah, yeah and it's yeah. like, why couldn't, like, a, you know, maybe it's just me being like, why isn't the spoons and, you know... Yeah, like, he gets that one bullet at the end, but, like, there's probably other metal junk exactly. around. Yeah. And I wish they would have used that more with the metal claw, with Teehee's Oh, claw. yeah, yeah, right. I, I thought funny. that would have been a thing, and I thought that the whole reason why <laughs> Teehee yeah. had a metal claw <laughs> so was because this metal magnet watch. Like, here's gonna he come. Him, he, like, just reaches for pliers. Exactly. He doesn't even use the magnet to get exactly. the pliers to cut the, the like nerve wire. I was oh. so disappointed because I was like, all right, here it comes. Just the watch is going to become like the metallic magnet of the watch. It has a purpose. Here it is. And it's like, Ooh. that's so great. I actually That's think really I like fun. that even more. Like, yeah. I like that they're just kind of campy, but not really altogether if, useful. If it's intentional to, like, you know, jerk us around a bit and be yeah. like, hey, you think you know what it's going to be, then that's the, good. The scene where he uses a lot of gadgets are ones that he was never even given and never talks about. There's no dialogue. The travel but, pack gadget? Yeah, when he's in the hotel, like, <laughs> regular listeners will know I love Bond in a hotel room. When he's, like, casing the joint for bugs or whatever. Yeah. And he never, like, there's no hand-holding to the audience going Mm -hmm. on. Just fiddling with, like, why did he go over to the window and tap the, like, is he giving Morse code out to Coral? I assume. Mm -hmm. Maybe. And then grabs this other gadget. And you're like, okay, obviously he's looking for bugs. But there's no uh, exposition dialogue there, which I love. That was really smooth. I really like that scene, actually. And, and yeah, he wasn't given those gadgets. So that is a really good use of gadgets. One mm-hmm. that they weren't shoehorned in and he's just using them out in the field. I like that. But did you notice that the gadgets were kind of useless in this movie? Because most of the things that the antagonist was using to attack Bond were animals you know <laughs> here comes a snake and although you know that was really neat when the snake came and then he had like a cigar and the after and then put it back oh, in his yeah. mouth after i never yeah. noticed oh. that until this time and then he used it to burn <laughs> yeah. uh rosie when she comes in yeah that's true i want to yeah that scene was really funny because i when i was a kid i would play with oh, my friends too. the axe spray yeah. with the stuff and i would burn all kinds of crap and me too although you were a pyro cigar, too man i was a big pyro yeah, man would a cigar be able to do that though no you need an open flame. Yeah. You, I mean, if you got it going real, no, mm-hmm. not especially not with what was it aftershave? Because yeah, he, it was aftershave. I, I don't think I've ever seen an aerosol aftershave. <laughs> yeah, that was really weird. I thought it was like hair because he kind of had it up towards his head at first. I mm-hmm. thought it was going to be hairspray. Also, he didn't finish shaving. <laughs> yeah. Kind of, although, oh yeah, I forgot. Uh, yeah, when like, we were talking about Bond, Bond takes baths. Roger Moore's Bond takes baths. Love mm-hmm. that shit. Down with that. <laughs> I'm very down it with that. It made me think, I was like, that's why Rob likes baths, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Winston Churchill and Roger Moore's Bond. They yeah. bath. Yeah. You were like, I want a tray like that. <laughs> I've been bathing before. <laughs> oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Rob Maybe that's baths. why we had all these plot holes with the gadgets is because most of the challenges he had to overcome weren't with gadgets. Like It, it was yeah. all like the, the bad guy's gadgets. There might be some theme or narrative of like Bond versus the natural slash supernatural, right? Because right? of the black magic. The it's it's beyond that. Remember we went through this with Goldfinger that at the end of the day it was just him seducing Pussy Galore that did it. All the gadgets yeah. and all the spy fare, like spy craft. Everything that he does kind of fails. The villain almost wins, and it's just luck or some flirtation or manipulating a person. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's his character that does it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was kind of like that in this with Solitaire. With Solitaire, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah. His ability to seduce is definitely his best weapon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a bit of an inconsistency with the gadgets from Mr. Big, because he would have mostly animals and the supernatural, but then he would come out of nowhere with the, which I love, by the way, was his walkie-talkie pan flute. I was like, if you can create a walkie-talkie pan flute, yeah. I'm sure you can have other things aside from crocodiles to defeat Bond. Who did you say? Sorry, I was 
One of the like foot soldiers has like the the flute with the. That was Baron Samdi. Oh, was that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. It, it wasn't the. It wasn't Teehee. It was mm. yeah. He was he just sort of popped out of the grave and was playing that. It, flute and it, it is interesting that there's like stuff disguised as technology. Even like the way they're manipulating the tribe and stuff like that with that underground lair and all these like radios that are nowhere. There's like there's, the, the scarecrows. The scarecrows. That, yeah, that was one of the best gadgets too. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And there, there's definitely like a lot of that like nature and technology and totally good catch. But if we were to talk about the best gadget, or I mean. The best use of a gadget, which was, you know, over the top, but also kind of cool, was the compressed gun <laughs> gas Is that gun. a gadget? <laughs> All right, we can talk about it now. I mean, are we there? I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah, we can talk there. about the, we can talk more about Kananga after maybe, but that... Uh, there's a lot of debate about what's the most outrageous moment in all 24 bomb movies, and I usually say this one. It's okay. just fucking ridiculous. Like, if you just blew up under the water, that'd be one thing. But to actually float, like float out of yeah. the water and, like, burst on a spike in the ceiling, yeah. the cave, it's outrageous. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, wait, I mean, I know suspend disbelief, blah, 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 but that's just silly. It's kind of sad that he uses his compressed gun on Mr. Big. Well, not sad, but he's compressed gun on Mr. Big, but before he gets to Mr. Big, he's at the ceremony, and he's got his gun out, just shooting people. And I <laughs> felt right. awkward. Oh, I was like, holy shit. There's All these dudes with knives. And knives. Drops, he like, drops his freaking giant magnum to have a sword fight with Baron Sam. Mm-hmm. He still has the gun in his hand and drops it yeah. to have a machete fight. But then, it, like, in five seconds, kicks him into a coffin. Yeah, mm-hmm. true. Oh, man, that... None of that feels really like tracks. there was a lot of rewrites or something that whole last like yeah. the scene at the tribe it's like they're about to execute her and then don't and then they have this other ceremony sorry i know we're jumping all no, over the but, place but uh, that last scene is really not last scene but the scene at the ceremony the ritual or whatever is really weird i blame yeah. the boat chase it's all it's all, it's the, all boat the chase. Pro- they focus too much on the yeah. boats yeah like, they, they're we're like, out of time we have three days left to shoot <laughs> yeah exactly like let's, let's just for symmetry do the tribal scene again and yeah, uh, yeah. we'll have him Actually, they could have even shot it at different times. They had like some footage of Roger Moore pointing his gun towards something, mm-hmm. and then they shot. They had all this extra footage from the ritual yeah, from yeah. the first scene. They just cut a bunch of it together. They're yeah, like, ah, that's fine. yeah, it's weird. But yeah, Kananga balloon. So there's later on there's a, a pigeon double take. Bond has a gondola that turns into a hovercraft and float, drives away through Venice, and a pigeon does a double take looking at it. That's the other very close. Egregious moment, but Kitchen does a double take. Is that in this movie? No, no, in a different movie. Okay, so like I, I was just right. ranking, and there, there's also like, uh, hang gliding, uh, a tsunami. That's real bad. That's mm-hmm. in Die Another Day. There's a bunch of really bad moments, but to me, the Kananga balloon has to be the worst. I like. Uh, it reminds me of in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban when he makes Aunt his arm floats to, away. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Very Except good. that at least magic exists. You would just yeah. blow up. <laughs> Like blood, like if you had like theoretically, let's go sci-fi and pretend that this gadget exists. You wouldn't inv- like your skin, your body can't do that. Your blood vessels would just pop. Like he should just explode in blood, basically. I mean, it was also just like how fake it looked at the like it was yeah. obviously just like some weird rubber thing. But yeah, that's such a weird choice between that and the mask. Yeah, the mask. You know, I kind of like Scooby Doo mask. The mask. Was it was the janitor horror, all though. along. It was there was a horror style to it. I think it was also there kind of critique on blackface mm. Ooh, wow so you're going deep again yeah. man i love it i mean that's, that's the first thing that came to mind like i i had black mango and blackface yeah wow awesome all right yeah 
I just thought Scooby Doo. I'm so I'm immature. Mm. <laughs> no, I, I really think it was like they. It was like Mr. Big all along. It was Kananga all along. Right. That's <laughs> if it wasn't for you meddling kids, <laughs> you meddling double agent. Uh, I like your idea better. Yeah. Do you have more thoughts about that? I mean, I think it just goes back to the theme of empowerment of black characters. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. it had a lot to do with empowerment of black characters, post-civil rights movements. And I think they wanted to be able to have a certain critique of what movies were before by adding subtleties mm-hmm. to how they yeah. want to get uh, ahead. Yeah, That makes a lot of sense if you think about how, like black characters would be played by white actors in blackface in the past and they're like hey look like we have a black person playing this right Mm -hmm. like he takes off the mask and it's a black person underneath yeah Mm -hmm. i am just so happy you two had never seen this movie i came up with this idea and we're watching bond and you two talking about (laughs) it and finding things i had never even thought of before uh i'm a happy man (laughs) it's not even your birthday anymore it's not even my birthday it feels like it <laughs> every time we do this. I like that theory. Uh, okay. You want to talk about the boat chase anymore? Are we good? Like, are, were you just bored? Or were you not like... I think it was being tired. I think that it could have been interesting stuff happening. It's, still it's really asleep. fun. It, like I said, when uh, last time I watched it and I'm having drinks and it's late at night and we're like laughing through it mm. and talking at the same time. Like, if we're talking through it and having fun with it, but we were, like, all quietly watching it and taking notes. It's very different. It's a little serious, yeah. Yeah. Well, what can you do with a boat chase? You know, chase on the water, and then you go on land. You go back on the water, and go back on land. They do all they did. A lot of that. A lot of jumps, and a lot... But those were all real stunts. swerving. Sure. I'm impressed with it. They, They were great stunts, but what did it add to the purpose of the plot? Just... Oh, nothing. Even, like, the enjoyable part of... The other enjoyable part, I'll say, is that J.W. Pepper character, but also he didn't add anything either. He was just yeah. like, it's like someone didn't like Louisiana people or something. This was right around like Dukes of Hazard and a few other. There's uh, Boss Boss Hog. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Is he sort of like that? Maybe not. There's other shows like that cliche yeah. Southern Sheriff. But man, this. Yeah. Spoiler alert. He comes back. J.W. Pepper? You get to see J.W. Pepper. I did double check. That is the name of a music publisher from the 1870s or something. Oh, that really? That still publishes today. That's yeah. hilarious. But I mean, I think I, the scene with J.W. Pepper and Mr. Big was a powerful scene. Mr. Pig? Was it Mr. Big? Oh, wasn't it Mr. Big who... Uh, oh, no. That was just that random was, was Mr. Big. So the random foot soldier gets stopped by Mr. Big and just the way that he was talking to him. Let like, me tell you, this hey, ain't boy. your debut, boy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. It was so bad. That, that was actually the note I wrote. was like, oh, shitty cop gets wrecked. Oh, wow, <laughs> yeah, love there it. You yeah. Go. yeah. I wish they would have elaborated more on that. So Whoa. you would have more of a backstory of why this group is attacking white men. What group? Uh, well, Mr. Big. I mean, all the people that Mr. Big killed were were white men. I thought they would, like, have this kind of... But they were I, agents, right? I think it's... I mean, I love this overanalyzing that's going on, but I, they're definitely just making fun of America. And mm-hmm. it's the Brits, it's Eon Productions, making mm-hmm. fun of the South. Which mm-hmm. is great. I told you before that off, like Americans are never represented well. The CIA are always sort of one step behind, or they're just cleaning up Bond's mess while Bond is doing the actual work. Yeah, yeah. They, they do not portray America very well. And all the cops mm-hmm. were overweight. Oh yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, every single cop was like, you know, in his mid mid forties to fifties and overweight. It, it's not until 
Craig's era with Jeffrey Wright playing Felix, where they actually have a competent American, mm -hmm. really. And he like throws it back in Bond's face once in Quantum. He's like, all this about world domination coming from a Brit. That's really yeah, high. Like, yeah. That's other than that, uh, yeah, they're really hard on America. And hey, fair enough. Yeah, his character, J.W. Pepper's character, is unfortunately probably kind of mm -hmm. realistic. I mean, definitely. Yeah. Spread it, boy. Oh, my God. I don't know how many times they said boy in that mm, 20 yeah, minute scene. Yeah, in that accent. And it's so he's, condescending he's, to say boy as well. Oh, it's horrible. Boy. Mm -hmm. He said something on the radio about the bayou being invaded by black something or other. Like, there's a mm. lot of racism happening mm. there. Mm. But, like, if you casually walk in on that and just see that scene, you're like, what the fuck racist movie are you guys watching? Yeah, but this but, is literally like, oh, this guy is the bumbling idiot. Right. Like, he's like, he looks so shitty. Like, he makes so many mistakes and he's such exactly, an idiot. Exactly. And he gets like, his car gets crushed by the boat. The black guys. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's great. It's the right way to do that. You're constantly hoping for the bad guys at mm -hmm. that point. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's true. Even like the pre title sequence when, like, I'm just like, this is fine. These white people probably deserved it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was just hoping it's going to go more towards there, but I guess this is a movie that came out in the 70s. They couldn't necessarily... And they're also like this big heroin dealer situation. Right. Like, you can't really root for... Right. You know, if we're talking about like the, the boat scene, maybe one of the challenges was that there was a, an imbalance between action and stunts. Like, there was very little action scenes... But a ton of stunts. Right. Mm, See, interesting. that's why I like it. But I, I get that. If you're inclined the other way, like I prefer that to explosions and crap. Person, although that's and a stunt. That's the, a stunt too. I mean, when I say action, I mean fight scenes. Yeah. Right, right. And there were very short well, boss scenes. Which like, they, I'm, I'm okay with also. It's very rare to have a really good fight scene back then. Like it, it took a while that's for them point. to figure out how to do it. Like you, it needs to be close quarters, like mm -hmm. the train fight. I had that. Like there are several really good James Bond train fights. And this is one of them like it's pretty quick but when you're in a closed space and you can get away with quick cuts so it's not that nauseating or whatever it can be a little bit intense even though it's mm -hmm. silly with a man with a claw and this and that it's still one yeah. of the better fight scenes in the whole movie there's like the comedy element with her being flipped up into the hide of bed and mm -hmm. just flipping him outside the window he, he never seems afraid ever no, that's mm -hmm. true. Roger Moore's sure, Bond. Yeah. Not critique at all. No, never. The only moment in the movie where I felt tension, and I actually felt that maybe he's probably a little afraid right now, was when the crocodiles... That is, were, yeah. That's yeah. a tense scene. When they're coming up on the rock, and he's still like looking all around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the most tense Although part. the crocs are pretty patient. They were like, we'll give you a little time yeah. to figure this out. Like, we'll just slowly saunter up. They're a proper <laughs> Bond villain. They like to take their time. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. probably, if they could speak, they would be giving some monologue about how they're going <laughs> to eat him or don't need Bond. Yeah, about how you're the, you know, whatever hundredth person who's been on this yeah. rock. You were and actually just a had... minor inconvenience in mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish they would have used me more of the crocodiles in the boat scene. Ooh, mm, yeah. That would have been an interesting tie-in. Because mm -hmm. they're in the bayou. Yeah, I don't think the VHS was that far off that it was quite a nice stunt spectacular. There was some cool stuff. If you're not naturally inclined to it, if you get bored by it, that's fair. That's your opinion. But there, there was some cool stuff. There'd definitely it. be yeah, a sick trailer for this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And what's interesting is that if you go back to Live and Let Die, when Paul McCartney plays Live and Let Die live, when he does get to the part say, and Live and Let Die, it's the biggest explosion. I meant it's to say that earlier. explosions in his in his show, yeah. but it's like you watch it and there's fireworks in the air and in your face, you almost feel the heat from the yeah. scene. So yeah. he really like lays into 
the explosiveness of the movie yeah. still today. I was going to say, no matter what, we got one of the best live songs ever. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Guns N' Roses does a, a cover yeah. of it, which is an extremely well-done cover as well. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think at least <laughs> as an early podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, all right, we're going long. Location sets. Yeah. I mean, the, the locations the, are great. They make good use of the bayou, that's for sure. Totally. Yeah. Again, with the... And, oh, and Harlem. You mentioned how it looked like in your summary. The, well, I said it while we were watching. Mm-hmm. It looks like 1945 Poland. Sorry for people <laughs> yeah. in Poland. The the forest in the Caribbean, I felt, wasn't necessarily... That was a set, I think. Yeah. There was one point. It looked really fake uh-huh. uh, mm-hmm. at, at the end. They were definitely in a studio there. Yeah. But no, it looked like they were in Harlem, even though it was yeah. completely... Yeah. The New York work. shots were good, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It looked so gritty. It was a really cool... Mm. Oh, I meant to mention the shot. You know The Last Waltz pretty well, the yep. documentary about the band. During the intro, when they're driving through... I think it's in Detroit, where the show was. And then they get to the show, the venue. Mm. They kind of turn the corner and zoom in on the people in, in line. When he arrives into Harlem and comes to the Phileo, whatever it's called. What's mm-hmm. the company that... Phileo Funk or something? Phileo Fish, Phileo <laughs> whatever. Doesn't matter. Uh, Phileo Fish. It looks exactly like that shot from okay. The Last Waltz. I huh. just I wrote down on here, um, mm. stole The Last Waltz show. Or they stole it. I forget which was first. Doesn't matter. Can't think of it. Sidebar. They use the they use New York well, I guess is the yeah. point. I thought New Orleans was used pretty well as oh, well. Oh yeah. Also yeah, I was gonna really say nice. it was like the funeral dance stuff. Yeah. And, and a ton of great sets. More yeah. so than like the later movies is not so great with this. The Brosnans, even Dalton's, there weren't many, but his lair at the end was awesome. Yeah, oh. I love that underground cave, mm-hmm. shark-infested waters lair. Yeah. I was like, is this? Am I playing Donkey Kong or what? <laughs> totally. It reminded me of the caverns level in Goldeneye. I can't compare myself to other 007 movies before this one, but I wonder if they emphasized more on the sets because they weren't sure what to expect from the actor. Well, a part of their the whole thing was sparing no expense and grandeur, really making you believe it, you know? Like, with those early ones, because like, movies traditionally, you're supposed to suspend disbelief. You know you're watching a movie. A tavern isn't meant to look like a real tavern. Mm-hmm. If you're watching a movie that takes place in Russia in the war room, it's okay that it's in a closet that looks just like every other room. With Bond, they went all out, like mm-hmm. huge scale, really tall ceilings, hugely elaborate ornate tables and mm-hmm. random ass computers on the mm-hmm. wall that do nothing. Like what? Mm-hmm. They go all out. And that's one of my favorite things in these early movies. And there was quite a bit of that in this one. But Bond's home too, right? With all that lavish stuff and his right. espresso machine. Like the set designers mm-hmm. and the props people, like everything was there for a reason, you know, mm-hmm. and all of it adds character without any dialogue needed. I love it. You know, one thing that got me a little bit out of the movie mm-hmm. was the scene where he was in the hotel for the first time using his gadgets. And his gadgets looked so old. Fisher Price. Yeah. yeah. When he was <laughs> pressing yeah. on one, I thought he was going to be like, damn thing doesn't work, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, totally. Like, 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 out the window. Window. I was like, yeah, yeah I know, yeah. it totally doesn't work. That's the, true. <laughs> one thing that brought me out of it, speaking of sets, was I think it was the basement of one of the filet places. filet au soul that's what it's called. That's what it is, yeah. I think it's Teehee comes in, and the door, He's he comes through like an oh, automatic yeah. sliding door. Mm-hmm. He steps through, and then it slides shut, and it bounces. Because yeah, it's cardboard yeah. or whatever. And it's, you can tell it's just like someone's like pushing on either side yeah, of that. Yeah, it might even be automated, but yeah, it's it's not screwed in very tight, no, that's for no. sure. And uh, Solitaire's interior, like up her little mansion, yeah. Yeah. that was pretty cool. And, and again, like we said, her like auto throne armor situation. Yeah, so all those sets were good. Did you like the hench people whisper? 
So I liked Whisper, but it was just that was confusing because it's just like the one Your time he talks, he's, he's quiet, and you're like, okay, and he doesn't talk like for the rest of the movie. You're like, your champagne, sir. What? <laughs> like he would have been a good if like you kind of said before. There was like too many hench people. Yeah. If there was one and it was stronger, or it's, yeah, it's funny. The one that made me like this movie as a kid is the one I want rid of. Is Baron Samedi. I don't know what the hell he's doing yeah. there. He adds all the question marks. That stupid laugh is more of a distraction than it is. Kind of like the laugh. I kind of do, but it's like. Again, another one of those, what the hell are we doing here? One question is who, so in that big boat chase, there's like the one hench person like chasing him the whole time. And that's just some random that's other just, person. Yeah, that's just like, another Why guy. is that not Claw Guy or Whisper Baron or Zen Z or something? Zen. Like yeah, why is it? Point. Uh, it's just, he has a huge army, I guess. And it's just the head. But that guy did other stuff too. Like he was like important, but he just doesn't have I bet if we watched it again and looked for it, he probably had a name too. Yeah, he's, yeah. But he's fourth or fifth in line. Like, yeah, there are too many. It's an embarrassment of riches as far as hench yeah. people go. could have done better with the henchman's quirks. Like for example, mm. the Whisper guy. What if it would have happened that he was trying to ask for help? Something was well, closing he, in on did him. did at the end. He was trying to, when Bond escaped, he did like a weird backflip thing off the hoist thing. He was like, sir, look out. He was trying to yell to... Oh, I didn't catch that. Didn't, and, didn't then, catch that. and then he knocked Whisper out, and then the guy, came, the Kanaga came around. But he was trying to warn him at the end. See, I, I guess wish... that's the thing with a quirk like that is you don't notice. <laughs> right. <laughs> you could have built look that, out. You know? Yeah, they could have... <laughs> There's yeah, it should have been a bit longer. Asking for help would have been better, and getting like kind of a sad death for poor old Whisper. Who mm-hmm. got or like if um, you know Mr. Big like misheard him or something and yeah. got something wrong. Sure, yeah. yeah, use it more as a plot device. Although yeah. if, then again, if they did that too much, we'd be like, that's just cheesy, reverse engineered plot device. I crap. would also switch Teehee and Whisper because wouldn't it make more sense that Whisper has that uh, arm because maybe when he got attacked, he was yelling so loud that he, sure. his voice box got. Uh, Tihi, I like. I, I like Tihi too. His but, weird arm that you can totally tell he's just holding on to underneath that yeah, sleeve yeah. that is way mm. too long. But that smile, like yeah, you know, yeah, I liked mm. him a lot. They did specifically have that thing where Bond like ripped his shirt by the shoulder, and yeah, it's like, so oh, see, like it's he a full has, arm. He has a full arm. Yeah, yeah. It's like for that one that, shot, that wasn't so bad. Mm-hmm. That one shot. Mister mm-hmm. Big was a good villain too. Overall, very strong. I mean, it's not. He's pretty intense. Yeah. Did you touch her? <laughs> yeah. Oh, mon- that, yeah, he's super creepy with that. But his first line, not first line, he kind of comes in all outraged in Harlem in the first Phileo Soul. Did I catch your name? Names are for tombstones, baby. I love that line. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, another thing that we may not have picked up the first time listening to it, I feel that Mr. Big's character could have been more developed so you can have yeah, he's barely understand it. Yeah, exactly. But he's like, all right, so Mr. Big, he sells drugs. Why? Cause and he follows. He's he's a guy uh, who has a lot of connections in mm-hmm. Black America. Yeah, and he clinic. follows a, a tarot reader. Right. Why the same yes. one that Kananga does? Yeah, Kananga's yeah. in it a lot. I mean, it's funny that we're talking about them as though they're different people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they they should have. Maybe it's because it looked so silly when he was. If you watch it again, you're like, okay, that is obviously the same guy uh, wearing a mask. I did notice something weird about his face, I guess. But I was like, we it's, only see. Well, they should have said briefly. like he's sick or something. Like that's why yeah. he's so pale. Yeah. But that wasn't clear. I feel like the reveal of Mr. Big was a little unclear. It's like, okay, he's wearing a mask. Oh, it's actually Kananga. Oh, and Kananga's actually Mr. Big. It's just like a mask within a mask. And I was just like, all right. Maybe. And it wasn't super clear, like, who these people were before. No. Like, that there's two of them, like, I was starting to catch their names and stuff. Uh-huh. And then it's like, oh, it's 
one and then I like Since we've analyzed it this much, the next time you guys see it, like I I did this five times on my own before breaking it down with other people because pre-internet it was really hard to find other James Bond fans so I just tried to figure this shit out on my own now if you watched it again you'd get it you'd be like, oh okay yeah. it makes sense they're following Kananga Kananga and Mr. Bigger because he goes in right at the start and turns that he knows he's being watched by the CIA and turns that tape on and then mm. he turns into Mr. Big he puts on that jacket and never shows his face yeah. but then he goes down into the pit mobile and drives up to Harlem mm. Yeah, it's all. It's much more clear on the second time through. Maybe it's the fact that now we're watching movies that really hold our hands, mm-hmm. mm. or we're also in this world where movies are becoming series, where you right. got and they fill every exactly. You, you and I have talked about this a lot, like with Star Wars or whatever, filling every gap, and I hate it. Mm-hmm. Mm. I don't mind a few prequels, but why we're doing this podcast is because it isn't clear. If it was all clear, we would have nothing to talk about. I don't like yeah. my hand being held. I like having these conversations and figuring I, it out. I do out. like the depth of detail. And maybe the nice thing about the Bond stuff, there is these layers to it. But on the surface, it is kind of about the quips, the stunts, the gadgets. Like there's this whole like surface layer that's like cool Bond right. stuff. But, but if but it didn't have that bottom layer, it wouldn't have lasted wouldn't 24 movies. Yeah. And I mean, not to be snobbish, but I wouldn't be that interested. I wouldn't keep coming back if it was just that. If it was just that, Mission Impossible would interest me just Mm -hmm. as much. Or, you know, other action flicks. If I could change one thing about this movie, I would make it so there'd be a strong female character who was a black character who would be solitaire. Change Rosie, maybe. Like, had she actually been like a big player in Mr. Big's organization and seduced Bond and betrayed him? Like he trusted her and mm-hmm. she betrayed him or something. Like that could have been cool. Or like instead of all these hench people, there's like a main black woman hench person with a with a claw hand yeah. that whispers and is really competent. Mm-hmm. Oh, Raji's last movie, there's a black hench woman and she's awesome. <laughs> Sick. So stay tuned. Well, you just segued us nicely into anything you could change about it. Any other final thoughts on it? I Underneath the villains and stuff, I wanted to talk about the NOLA band assassination squad, but I guess we kind of already touched on that. That's just hilarious. The funeral thing? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. We already talked about it. We probably big, shouldn't talk about it. Big highlight of the movie. <laughs> it, mm-hmm. Like, the logistics of that are just so insane, but I still love and, it. Oh, and, and the fact that they scoop up the body in, and in it's the, the same guy who knifes him like i like to yeah. imagine he's the granddad of this huge family <laughs> like so he's like from a long line like multiple generations of people who come up with these elaborate assassination things mm. and all of those people are his like brothers and their children and all of his descendants they have these big parades and he just stabs dudes in the stomach <laughs> how cool would it be if there were like the CIA operative, if Rosie as a CIA operative, like later on, we see that she was actually one of the people dancing in that <laughs> scene, like mm. just to show that, okay, that's how it all ties in together. She's part of, she's actually very known or very knowledgeable as an operative because she's part of this kind of like I prefer to gang think of New Orleans dancers who pick up killers or kill I, people. I prefer to think that group is their own, they're freelancers. Okay. Like they weren't Kananga's guys. They're like, uh, a group that you hire they're like a gang yeah. that you hire if you're if you they're want an assassination contracted out yeah exactly yeah all right uh, adam final thought are you looking forward to more raji you want to ex- i mean we got six more he did the most yeah in- i'm excited to see better ones i think this is i know it's it's raji's first so i'm gonna be light on him yeah uh, I that's think good because like the next later. one uh, you'll have lower expectations 
Yes, I'll probably like it. I'll get better sleep. We'll see. JP? I agree. I'd say the movie was fun at times, but it was fine in general. I had moments (laughs) that I enjoyed, but I would say overall the movie was lacking where it just had good song, good sets, and good moments. But the acting wasn't at the level of the movie's potential. Yeah, definitely. I'll say the the last time I watched this, which was like a few days before we started this podcast, so seven weeks ago, it was my favorite Roger Moore. And now I can think of three others that I would rather watch. Mm-hmm. Again, like yeah. I said at the start of this podcast, it so much depends on when and how, how you're watching and everything, it. Yeah. But yeah, watching it with you guys and like analyzing it and stuff, it was a lot less fun than casually on Friday night. Like I imagine when this came out, people were talking about this boat chase for like weeks. Mm-hmm. Weeks, right, right. Like, oh, do you remember when you did this thing? Like, yeah, as like yeah. a fourteen-year-old, I'd be loving it. Totally. We didn't talk about the director at all, but I wonder if this, since this director did other Bond movies, he did Goldfinger. So, yeah, really. I wonder if that played a role in the way they decided to have all these stunts. Like, this oh. director wasn't coming in with a fresh perspective. This director was influenced by past Bond movies that mm. he was involved with, and I wonder if. Yeah, you know, his vision was too one-track. Yeah, like, you have to adapt to the new actor, the new environment, the new exactly. situation. It's funny, there are, there's, yeah. I won't go too into this, but there are a few other directors who have a very, sim- each one of their films are quite similar. His, all four are kind of different. Like, he does the next one, Man with the Golden Gun, it's very different from this. Diamonds Are Forever is very different, the one before this, and Goldfinger is definitely quite different. Mm-hmm. That's the one that established the formula, but it's quite a different movie. JP, will you uh, like to return and do another movie with us sometime? Sure, absolutely. Right mm-hmm. Well, it was a pleasure having you on this wonderful uh, adventure Adam and I are on. Thanks for right. coming along. We're always looking for more travel companions. I'm glad to be part of the voyage, and this is the only traveling I can do COVID-wise, so <laughs> take advantage of it. That's a part of this. We're uh, living vicariously through 007. Yeah. And what's our next stop, our next destination? We are, f- so we're a quarter through. We've just done one-off missions so far, aside from his origin. We're finally going to dapple with the sinister organization that is Spectre when Bond gets sent down to Jamaica to investigate the death of another agent in uh, the original 1962's Dr. No. All right. Catch it next week. Bon voyage, everybody. Bon voyage. Bon voyage.